We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Grinders, it's your buddy Jordan Cooper, Blenderhead. This is the uh, the Advanced Sports Analytics Show. I know I'm not Travis Mango, and I'm filling in for him. Uh, apparently, he, he lost his voice last night. I'm assuming because he was yelling at 14-year-olds on Fortnite. But I'm here, and I'm honored to join Stuart Gibson on one of what I consider my one of my favorite shows on, on Roto-Grinders. Sometimes it's premium, sometimes it's free. Uh, but I think it's one of the best listens, especially if you're into a, a large field GPP strategy. So, Stuart, how did last week go for you? Not great. I had my, my worst week of the season last week. Uh, yeah, just wasn't responding well to some of the late news. And uh, I don't know, just got my mind stuck on playing Camara and, you know, came down at quarterback, uh, went, you know, bottom of the barrel at receiver aside from Michael Thomas and you know it forced me to kind of miss out on Christian Kirk and it's like if you didn't have Christian Kirk in cash uh you kind of had no chance and if you didn't have him in tournaments you probably also didn't have much of a chance so uh, I had a decent amount of Kirk in tournaments but uh you know way too much Saints which you know hey nine points I don't think anyone saw that coming uh but yeah, I don't know. Looking forward to rebound this week. Uh, you know, I got some motivation uh, just watching that uh, Brown Steelers game last night. Like, I'm, I'm jacked up. I'm ready for uh, week 11. And uh, yeah, looking forward uh, to the Sunday slate. Don't worry. We, we record uh, uh, this over Zoom, so I'm not going to be able to go over there and hit you with a helmet. So, <laughs> so don't don't worry if I don't agree with you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I feel safe here than uh, behind behind the camera. So, yeah. 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 Last week for me was a weird week for me in cash. Typically, uh, I'm the type of jam in all the running backs and I usually get them right. And the wide receivers usually fail me. The, last week was the complete opposite. I, I got in, in cash. I played Thomas, uh, DJ Moore and Christian Kirk. Uh, and then, uh, then Saquon Barkley decided to run for one yard. Can, can I ask you, as, as someone that that's very deep into the data, and I I, ob I obviously respect the data. I'm more of a game theory player. I let the data people do the data, then I look at the data, 
and then I'd make my decisions. So I'm not necessarily into, I know how to do some basic modeling. Uh, my question from last week's result, I know 13 uh, carries for one yard for Saquon Barkley. And also the fact that Daniel Jones is at quarterback versus like we have a large sample size with Barkley playing a large enough, at least for the NFL uh, for playing Barkley with Eli Manning. At what point in your, in your modeling do you start weighing the more recent performances and say maybe the baseline on a player we're, we're projecting a little too strongly? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I'm actually kind of toying with this question. I'm right now working on some uh, projection tools for ASA. We've kind of avoided projection stuff and mostly looked at uh, like metric aggregation. I think that's a, like a really interesting question is what is the right um, – you know, window for baseline setting. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't have kind of, the there's no answer. There. Yeah, it's there, kind of like, no it's, a, it's a feel thing. Yeah. One, one though aspect I do want, like, as I've started out this projection build, I've been looking at like last 365 days as kind of the baseline. And the more and more I'm thinking about it, I kind of think I want to implement like a last 300 days. And what that, you know, essentially two month drop off does is it says like, in the first half of a regular season, let's consider kind of a player's performance in the back half of the previous season as part of our baseline. And then once we start hitting the present, uh, you know, those, those three with a 300 day cutoff, those last 65 days uh, essentially eliminate the previous season and say like, okay, now that we're like at more or less a halfway point, like let's start relying on uh you know, this season. And I think, yeah, with, you know, NFL stuff, right. It's like, unlike baseball or basketball, where you get games, uh, you know, multiple games a week, like it's pretty easy to quickly accumulate sample NFL. Like by the time you reach an adequate sample size to evaluate anything, you know, it's, it's January and uh, you know, the playoffs are starting and uh, you know, I think it's definitely tough. Um, I think that there's gotta be some subjectivity there. Uh, and, you know, I think it's kind of for the player to, to decide what, what they want to do. Um, but I'm definitely interested kind of in these uh, projection modeling efforts that we're going to start undertaking. Uh, yeah. Trying to see like what window of baseline appears to be kind of the most salient predictor of, uh, you know, future performance. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully uh, we can kind of shed some light on that as we uh, push through our, our projection efforts. Yeah. But I think also it de really depends on the position because for instance, uh, I mean, we, especially with correlations, we talk about like wide receivers are very dependent on their teammates. Like the wide receiver can't perform well without obviously passing play calling and the, and the, obviously the efficiency of, of the quarterback, like running backs, a lot of times, like they could get 25 carries for 40 yards. And we've seen with Christian McCaffrey, we've seen with Leonard Fournette, we've seen with a lot of running backs, Derrick Henry, that they can make their entire value on one broken play or on just very opportune goal line situations. We get the, the pass interference in the end zone for that first and goal on the one. And, you know, one running back gets three of those in one game, while another running back in a very similar spot just doesn't happen to get those. So I think like with last week with Barkley, the, in and if we if we just projected that out that that the Giants being favored in that spot Barkley high touchdown equity that if you ran that out like a thousand times like all Barkley needed to do was like break one run 
and get one goal line carry. And like, we wouldn't be talking about like a Saquon Barkley dust. Like it's, it's, it's that margin of error sometimes in one week could be really, really small between running backs. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't think we're moving forward, you know, after this game thinking of Saquon's dust, but um, it, it was, I mean, just an extreme outlier performance. And I do think like, yeah, your, your sample size kind of consideration is different position by position, like running back, these guys tend to accumulate points through a high amount of low, a high amount of lower variance plays, obviously goal, you know, red zone goal line stuff is kind of high variance, uh, you know, high uh, margins as far as what potential kind of value outcome could occur. Um, but wide receivers and, you know, tight ends even more so are like, few even a smaller sample even higher variance uh, type plays and uh i mean hey I, we'll get into dvp later i mean i think uh new york jets are an interesting case of a team that is really stout against the run and really susceptible against receivers uh, you know i i wonder how much you know that factored in we saw golden tate and darius slayton both really blow up um you know but uh i don't know i you know you want to try not to overreact too too much and um you know, if we continue, I mean, Saquon hasn't been super solid this year. Uh, so we might, you know, want to continue to update our priors a little bit. Um, but I'm not moving forward, you know, kind of thinking Saquon's totally dust. And, you know, I feel like some of these opportunities are actually good or some of these outcomes are create good opportunities moving forward to buy in on a guy that, you know, you think had a previously bad outlier uh, outcome you know, the field gets off him and then all of a sudden, you know, you have a uh, low ownership on a guy who, who was good. Um, so that, that's what, that's what I do all the time. You should see the, the NFL discord when I'm like, I'm, I'm slamming 30% of this guy. And this is like the past two weeks, he was hard. It's like, like he's still in a, like when I could get Julio Jones at like 3%, like I just have to rely on the fact that he's Julio Jones. And it's not that I think that he's going to do well. It's just that he's going to do better than 3% owned. It's, it, it's really that relational type of play. So last week uh, with the correlations going, uh, I, know, I know last week uh, talked a lot about the Panthers, and I think we're going to be talking a lot about the Panthers this week. Uh, what correlations game by game last week worked out and what were like some outliers that maybe you didn't see coming? Yeah, so one I wanted to you know call attention to, and I think it also just like dovetails nicely into an update we've made to our correlation app. Uh, I thought the uh, Tampa Bay Arizona game was a really interesting game from a correlation standpoint, and we had some of that correlation actually play out as expected, some of it not. And I think going into it, um, you know, the correlation set up where it actually was a game like I wasn't super interested in stacking. I mean, there's obviously lots of opportunity for, uh, you know, fantasy scoring there just based on the total um, and the teams playing, but it's just like the pieces to me just didn't fit together quite as nicely as some of the other games. So I, I actually last week, you know, moved my tournament uh, exposure slightly away from that game uh, from, from stacking that game and more just picking like one off pieces to get exposure and towards New Orleans and Atlanta, which I thought had really good, uh, you know, team correlation and, uh, you know, cross-team game correlation, um, as well as Carolina, Green Bay, I thought actually had a good opportunity for that. But um, so the one app, the, the update we made with our correlation app is uh, previously, you know, you could look at like guys and see how they correlate uh, with players on their own team. So like going to that uh, Tampa Bay, 
you know, side of things. Uh, one guy we or two guys we've talked about, I guess, in the past is how Godwin and Evans like really negatively correlate, and they're not guys like I want to be playing together on a Tampa Bay stack. But um, you know, I want to pick like one or the other. Uh, last week we saw them actually correlate strongly. Uh, they just correlated you know, to the floor, right? Like, and that is what happens, you know, with positive, like, you know, I don't want people to get confused that like negative correlation is bad and positive correlation means good. It just means like with positive correlation, uh, you're likely to get similar outcomes out of players with negative correlation. You're likely to get dissimilar outcomes of players. And with Evans and Godwin, we actually saw similar outcomes, uh, both, you know, bad. Um, but the, I, I, th- I think the explanation, because uh, I, I talk about it a lot of times in the Discord, is that I think in NFL, in all sports, uh, people focus too much on the correlation of plays versus the correlation of full game outcomes, where like your point that you're making is not that Godwin and Evans are not correlated. Obviously, uh, they're they're teammates in a passing game with Jameis Winston. It's just a matter of like when you're playing a two hundred thousand person GPP in DFS. It's like you need ceiling outcomes from virtually all your players, and unless like Winston throws for five hundred yards, like it's quite likely that Godwin and Evans, especially at their expensive prices, don't reach tournament willing ceilings at the same time. Even though. They can correlate together and both put up 18-point games. Just that 18-point games from each of them at their price is not going to win you anything. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it's a good point. Like, correlation, you you know, a lot of times comes from game flow, less from play-by-play. Like, I think people assume, like, oh, quarterbacks and receivers are obviously correlated. And, like, yes, they succeed on mutually beneficial plays, but there are cases of receivers who – uh, you know, the game script that favors that receiver actually doesn't favor his quarterback. Um, and even though they, uh, you know, the receiver will, you know, succeed on a correlated play with the quarterback in general, uh, you know, the game, you know, the game scripts that they can succeed in, like don't really correlate. And uh, Christian Kirk was a guy like I really circled as a just, you know, a piece like I really, you know, I think we knew coming of the week, like he was underpriced. Um, you know, I really wanted to kind of see how he was correlating with other players. And, um, you know, I think, you know, people were inclined to really like stack uh, this game up. And um, so, so anyway, sorry, the, the feature we've added is now we can, uh, we can view uh, players correlations with opponents and positional units of opponents. And, you know, when, when you're looking to stack a game, I think the first place you naturally go is, quarterback receiver stack on one side and then running it back with another receiver. And um, I just found myself like not being that interested in going with a Tampa Bay receiver stack running back uh, Kirk because uh, historically Kirk has shown like, or I say historically, you know, in 2019. So fairly small sample size and we'll actually let's remove uh, because I don't want, you know, what actually happened to, you know, further kind of, muddy the waters, but we, we saw even coming into the game, uh, you know, Christian Kirk had negative correlation with, uh, you know, opposing receivers in a pretty significant way. And, you know, kind of this like modestly positive correlation with opposing quarterbacks. But, but I was really kind of looking at like this, you know, we know with Tampa Bay, if we're going to run a Tampa Bay stack, it's probably going to be through Jameis and receiver. And the fact that Kirk had kind of this significant negative correlation with opposing receivers uh, 
to me, suggested that maybe he was a little more viable, uh, not as part of a Tampa Bay stack, but uh, you know, as a kind of one-off piece from that game to get exposure to that good game uh, and maybe seeking out like correlated uh, game stacks that, that uh, you know, had a little bit stronger correlation either, uh, you know, through the receiver quarterback combination or even, you know, ideally with the opposing uh, receiver uh, from the other team. And, you know, it was interesting. It wasn't like one I was really privy to, but, uh, you know, coming into the game, like really the nut stack of that game, right. would have been Christian kind of running like a little mini secondary stack of Kirk with Ronald Jones. And, you know, I do think it's interesting how Kirk like has these just pretty decisive correlations with, um, you know, he, he, like, he just doesn't correlate well with opposing receivers, uh, has correlated in the past really well with opposing running backs. Um, and also actually had pretty good correlation with Arizona defense. Uh, so, yes, we've also added, uh, you know, you can check correlation with DST um, as part of the application. So, um, I don't know. I, I wasn't really privy, at, you know, before the game to this running back and DST correlation, Kirk had. I mean, if, you know, I'd spent more time with application, probably could have, uh, you know, teased that out. But, uh, you know, I do think it was interesting uh, how, you know, we saw, like, Kirk, I think, kind of excels in maybe not like the super big blow up game, which would, you know, give, uh, you know, good opportunity to like his quarterback uh, guys running back on the other side. It seems like he kind of does a little better and maybe like a more uh, contained game uh, where maybe Arizona's defense is, is you know, so we got, I, I don't know, it's not super strong correlation with defense, but, um, you know, not not negatively correlated, but um yeah, it was interesting kind of how that game played out. Uh, you know, the, the, the Kirk uh, correlation on the other side played out kind of as the data might suggest, uh, but the, the correlation between the Tampa Bay receivers, um, you know, didn't play out as expected. And, uh, you know, you'd usually think like if you get one of those guys, you're setting yourself up pretty well. Um, but yeah, both guys hit a floor uh, kind of simultaneously, which, uh, you know, made that made that stack, uh, you know, tough, tough to you know take down the tournament or finish, you know, real high up. Yeah, I'm one of the people that I pat myself on the back that had the the Kirk and Jones secondary stack. But uh, I came to that conclusion from a completely different reason uh, other than the fact that the the combination is cheap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, that's another thing is like, it's crazy how many people, uh, you know, will go with like this Evans Godwin stack that's like, and and with Jameis, I mean, it's an insanely expensive stack to strongly negatively correlated receivers. Like there's just very few routes to, you know, that double stack, like taking down a tournament. Um, you know, so. Well, price matters. I mean, I, I'm the king of the vomit stack. I do it in baseball. <laughs> I do it in football also. Basketball, it's kind of hard to dig. Guys that aren't going to play more than eight minutes really can't get anywhere in basketball because there's no big events. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, in, in NFL, like, I you you can – I mean, you could maybe explain it slightly that I don't mind taking what could be considered slightly negatively correlated players. Like if, if Godwin and Evans, for instance, were both 5K and not close to 8K, like I wouldn't necessarily mind because an 18-point game from a 5K player, like that's, that's, a, winnable, that's, that's a winnable score. But once, once, once like I, I looked at uh, last, I mean, I know I didn't, uh, I didn't, do well with the Falcons Saints stacks last week, but I focused more on uh, stacking the Falcons than the than the Saints only because Michael Thomas being the most expensive receiver and 
pretty much like I'm not expecting Gin or Cook or like Kamara's expense. If I make a Breeze Kamara Thomas stack, like that's expense. They have to score a lot of points. I focus more on the on the the Ryan Ridley Hooper type of stuff. The Ryan Freeman Ridley, like those five. Like I want to get that stack 15k. And then I could shove in like Kamara as the one run back or Thomas as the one because the Saints have such uh, condensed production that like I don't feel a need to stack. I'll just get the one guy that get like Thomas scored 31 fantasy points and the Saints didn't even play well. Like he could have gone for 50 if they did. Yeah, no, it's I mean, the the kind of less purely correlated stacks are, are far more palatable when you when you have, you know, those cheap stacks because you just don't need. Uh, you know, such an excessive ceiling, uh, you know, to reach like that tournament winning level. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm just prefacing that because I may, I may be mentioning I, I, on this show. I know I'm on the blitz show tomorrow and I start, I'm going to start mentioning these 1% owned quarterbacks that people are going <laughs> to laugh at me and then don't realize that that's typically how I win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in the next, like little app update we wanted to share. Uh, we showed the DVP app a little while ago. And at the time it was just looking at, you know, how, uh, you know, teams uh, or defenses rather kind of uh, production allowance to opposing, uh, you know, t- uh, opposing positions as kind of just like a raw total. And like I knew coming in kind of that was a, a, a slightly noisy way of looking at it just because different teams uh, you know, play different skill levels of opponent on a given week. And, you know, certain teams shouldn't be pun- uh, you know, penalized for, um, you know, playing a difficult opponent and, and teams, you know, should be rewarded for successfully, uh, you know, mitigating the production of a really strong opponent. So, so we've added this little uh, opponent adjusted feature in here, which is the app is going to default to uh, now. Uh, if you want to turn it off and just look at like raw, you know, fantasy, like I'm looking at fantasy points allowed per rush attempt. If you just want to look raw, you know, you can uncheck the box and that's what you'll get um, in kind of these initial modeling efforts we're doing. I, I found the opponent adjusted to be, uh, you know, a good bit more salient than like raw, uh, you know, raw metrics. So, you know, I'm kind of, if you, if you are going to be using DVP metrics and as part of your strategy, I do think adjusting for opponent is worthwhile. Um, and, you know, what you're just looking at now is just how uh, many fantasy points per rush attempt in this example, each defense is allowing above or below the, uh, you know, long form average of their opponents, uh, you know, they played in a given game, uh, you know, so we know like Carolina is quite bad against the run when just looking at a raw, you know, raw perspective, they rank as, you know, the wor- you know giving up the most fantasy points per rush attempt, but they're not, you know, that far uh ahead of green Bay is the worst, uh, you know, per touch or per rush attempt kind of defense. But when we were scaling for opponent, uh, they really appear to be like even worse than kind of the raw numbers would suggest. I mean, they're, you know, over a hundred percent, uh, you know, worse kind of opponent adjusted, uh, you know, fantasy point per rush attempt than kind of the next competitor is Cincinnati. And like on the flip side, uh, Tampa Bay, we know, you know, even in the raw is extremely, uh, you know, Efficient, or I guess skilled in reducing, uh, you know, opponent running backs scoring through the ground game. Um, and I mean, they really just even show that more. So uh, when we're adjusting for opponent, like one of the you know guys they faced twice this year and done a pretty good job of limiting Christian McCaffrey. Um, so, you know, when we are adjusting for opponents, we can really begin to see, 
even better, like how, how good and bad some of these defenses are at limiting, uh, you know, per, per touch kind of efficiency stuff. Uh, you know, we also have like market share stuff. I think the market share, uh, you know, target air yards market share by position is pretty interesting. Uh, if we are, you know, looking at a team that we want to attack through the air and maybe understanding, uh, where they scheme their targets towards and away from, uh, so, you know, you can pull in like multiple positions and just see like which teams are, uh, effectively reducing their opponent's receivers, marking shares, or which teams are kind of yielding a boost in market share towards, uh, tight ends or running backs, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so the, the opponent adjustment is kind of the uh, new feature that we have with the DVP, DVP tool. Um, and as we go game by game, I'll try to provide, you know, some notes on, on the games where there's like a, you know, a, you know, defense that's yielding uh, a particularly high amount of volume or efficiency to a specific position, uh, you know, as we think about, uh, you know, which, which games we want to be attacking, uh, you know, in week, uh, week 11 main slate. So let's, let's take a look at it. Let's go game by game. Yeah. Sounds good. Give what the people give, give the people what they want. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to go down to by, by time based on the, the Roto grinders starting lineups page, uh, which starts with, uh, Dallas at Detroit in a dome. I'll, I'll, I'll just preface this a little. Uh, I may have more than 0.8% projected ownership of Jeff Driscoll in this game. <laughs> Is yeah, that a good I, thing or a bad thing? He's, yeah, he's 4,600. He's probably correlated with, with a lot of people on his team. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's super cheap. Um, you know, that, that's a, it's a good, like high total game. And I, I'm surprised, uh, I haven't, you know, my notes updated kind of over unders and spreads since, uh, last night, but, uh, yeah, I'm surprised that they're giving kind of Detroit, uh, you know, only plus three and a half is what I'm seeing now. Uh, so, you know, I think Detroit's implied total isn't, uh, you know, isn't that bad. Um, I don't really have many notes on kind of what the Dallas, you know, Dallas defense is, I think, above average in, in kind of most categories, but not really like yielding exceptional, um, you know, volume or efficiency, like to any position. Uh, you know, one note I think we've kind of t- touched on in the past with Detroit is the negative correlation between Marvin Jones and Galladay. Uh, you know, there, there are a few instances where both those guys, uh, you know, really explode for sealing games. We actually saw, you know, that reverse a little bit two weeks ago against, I forget who it was they're playing, but where, where both those guys, you know, had big games. But, um, so I don't know. I don't think you, uh, I don't think you can't double stack Detroit, but it does seem like a game, uh, you know, and, and just given Driscoll's kind of, uh, I, I just don't think he's like as conducive of a quarterback for like a big, uh, you know, double stack kind of showing for Detroit. I think my approach would be to pick one of those guys. And, and if you like both, um, you know, kind of doing, uh, you know, a mixes of single stacking each, uh, what's Ty, Ty Johnson, I think, uh, is potentially not going to play. And, uh, you know, JD McKissick is a pretty effective pass catching running back. Um, so I do think there, you know, could be opportunities to, to go, uh, you know, QB running back, maybe QB running back receiver on the Detroit side. Um, yeah. And it turns out, uh, the, the lines are now a, a seven point underdog now. Oh, okay. Because Ty Johnson, or no, no, because right. uh, Stafford is yeah. out, so the the line has moved. So they have a nineteen point seven five current implied team total. Okay. But for their price, like you mentioned, the stack that I uh, that I'm exactly looking at doesn't mean I'm going to play, but I'm looking at it's it's only Friday of uh, Driscoll McKissick 
and then one of Galladay and Jones, and I can keep that stack size under. And then the run back, especially since if I'm using the running back slot, I don't feel compelled to have to use Zeke. I could use Cooper or Gallup as as the run back there. But uh, what what do you what do you look at as far as uh, the correlation side on the on the Cowboys? Like the problem I always find with them is that. Like, I never feel that compelled to stack with Zeke in the running back slot for that expensive of a price. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with kind of how, uh, you know, Dallas's receivers are correlating versus uh, their opponents. Uh, you know, I could, could pull it up here fairly quickly, but, uh, I, you know, I, I, I mostly am playing cash and, I, and uh, you know, I'm kind of think my, my mind tends to think about it that way. I mean, Zeke is a, is a guy that I ha- we haven't really been talking about much this year, but I do think he's in a pretty, pretty good spot. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think Zeke could even be a part of a, you know, GPP game stack. I mean, Detroit uh, has been very bad against, you know, opposing running backs on the ground, but I think uh, they're also like really exposed to running backs through the air. Um, you know, they're, they're allowing uh, the second most opponent adjusted fantasy points per running back target. Uh, in the league. So, uh, you know, I do think like there are avenues to Zeke succeeding in a closer than expected game where, you know, you would think like the conventional route to, you know, Zeke smashing is like Dallas blowout pounding Zeke. But, uh, I do think he has some upside and kind of an explosive, uh, you know, explosive type, uh, or sort of like high scoring closer than expected game. Uh, you know, if Dallas does feel compelled to kind of go to the air more than we might project, uh, you know, I do think there is some run for Zeke, uh, you know, in that regard. Um, let's see, let me move some windows out of the way. I mean, I don't know. It's looking like Dallas receivers are, uh, at least like Cooper and Gallup are, are kind of negatively correlating with opponent receivers, um, which would suggest maybe, uh, you know, it would take kind of a reversal of data to, to get, uh, you know, the, the, the Dallas receivers and a, uh, you know, Detroit receivers to blow up. But uh, again, like with these correlations, like they are trends, not laws. So, you know, you can see negatively correlated kind of plays uh, hit in the same game. Um, it just, uh, you know, seems slightly less likely than, uh, you know, your, your correlated plays hitting together. In my opinion. Right, right. We're, we're talking about probabilities here. A lot of people in daily fantasy sports think in terms of 100% or 0%. And we're thinking in terms of uh, more likely and less likely doesn't yep. mean it can't happen. It's just that the probability is lower, not 1%. You know, it's, it's, it's most human beings, probabilities, just anything in the middle kind of becomes like, they don't realize that a 20% shot is actually not that long shot. But when you look at that 20 or something, you look at that negative point, one nine correlation, negative correlation and go, Oh, that can't possibly happen. It's like, it's not, it's not that dramatic. Yeah, for sure. And like in tournaments, you know, let's face it, like you're shooting for extremely low probability, uh, you know, level of performance for your lineup. So like, you know, to, to rule out, you know, some 20% probability is like, Oh, that's not a good play. Well, like then, you know, large field GPPs probably aren't good plays because the probability of, you know, winning a significant amount of money on those is hell of a lot less than uh, 20%. So. Right. Play double up. If you want the 50, per, if you want the 55% outcomes, you know, just play double ups. Yep. So, so the next game, uh, 
let's see if we could talk about this game in less than 60 seconds. Uh, <laughs> Jets Redskins, 38 and a half total. Uh, <laughs> now, this seems like the vomit game that I would go to. I'll be like, okay, how do I stack Haskins with McLaren and then run it back with Bell and whatever? But like, this would be the perfect time that I would consider playing Adrian Peterson if it wasn't for the fact that Darius Geis is going to be back. But then what, once I remove that, I'm going, so I'm going to play Darnold with two pass catchers? And and Darnold's not even that cheap. He's 5,700. So is is there – I mean, I know that there's positive correlations in this game. The problem is, is that is there – are there ceilings here? Yeah, I mean, it's like positive correlation doesn't do you that well if there's, you know, not – you know, a point scoring, which, you know, point scoring, real life point scoring equates or correlates, you know, fantasy point scoring quite strongly. Like, you know, if you don't have, you know, a a kind of competitive enough and, and, you know, high scoring enough game to support, you know, multiple, uh, you know, players doing well, like there's not too much you can do there. And I, I feel like we're kind of running into that with this game. I mean, 38 and a half is just an abysmal total. And <clears throat> the fact that it's only, uh, you know, Washington one and a half, I mean, it's not like, you know, one of these games where like Washington could even, re- you know, is projected to reach like, you know, 20, 25 with like, you know, an onslaught type thing. It's like expected to just be a close, low scoring game. Yeah. McLaurin's the one guy, you know, you touched on, uh, there's going to be no data really uh, at the pro level for McLaurin, you know, to Haskins correlation there. Um, but, you know, we like, New York, uh, the Jets are really effective against the run and really not effective against, uh, you know, opposing receivers on the outside. Um, you know, they're uh, so that, that could be like one area, one attack, but in general, not too interested uh, in this game. Well, let's go to a, a game that is similar. Like it, it fits more of the bill of it's a low total, but it's more lopsided. And that's a Broncos at Vikings in the dome. 40 and a half total, but I mean, the Vikings are currently over a 10 point favorite. So at least the Vikings have a healthy implied total. And we also have the, the possibility that Thielen uh, is going to be out for this game. So uh, I know we have, uh, you know, Diggs is going to get a higher market share and we always have Dalvin cook there, but how correlative is from, from a ceiling perspective is like stacking this game with like Kirk, uh, cousins cook and digs together for that high price being that cook is a pass catching running back. Do you think that it's a, it's a better correlative move to forego cook in that type of stack and play like Kyle Rudolph or Irv Smith instead, or is it the type of thing where you're actually trying to do the opposite and you're going to try to go for the Broncos actually stay in this game and you play the, the cheaper Brandon Allen, Cortland Sutton type of stack, and then just play one of Diggs or Cook. Yeah, I mean, you would think with Thielen being out, like there, you know, there is obviously more opportunity uh, for some of these other guys. And I was looking this morning at, you know, when, when we have like these injury situations, like I'm usually trying to find who's negatively correlated with that injured player. And like in general, you know, that player tends to perform better. Uh, you know, when the injured player is uh, low performing, uh, you know, which we could loosely equate to being out. And uh, I was finding like, <clears throat> Thielen kind of is, you know, uncorrelated with some of the guys that like, I was thinking we might want to play, like my mind gravitates to, uh, you know, Diggs, 
or like, I mean, Kyle Rudolph feels super thin, but you know, like, Hey, maybe he catches two touchdowns again. I'm not really, that's not something I want to bank on. Um, but like, you know, he just, Thielen like seems to kind of operate independently or maybe some of these players operate somewhat independently of Thielen such that it's not like really tipping me any one way to be like, Oh, with Thielen out, like, you know, Ola BC Johnson's going to crush like Ola BC Johnson has essentially no correlation to Thielen either such that, you know, the absence of Thielen doesn't give me a ton of confidence um, in his performance, uh, you know, sans Thielen. And um, I mean, Den- Denver's just a tough, uh, you know, nasty defense, uh, even at the running back position, like, uh, you know, Cook is a guy we might think to go to. And, uh, but I don't know, Denver's like really tough against running back, uh, you know, especially in pass catching opportunities. Like they're allowing the third fewest fantasy points per running back target uh, in the league. And I think a lot of Cook's upside, especially at that price, would have to come through the passing game. And, you know, given Denver being tough against running backs in the past, uh, you know, a super high spread that would suggest that maybe cook won't even get that much usage through the past game if the game kind of carries out as expected and like also we've seen minnesota uh you know spell cook a decent amount with alex madison who's been actually quite effective uh you know i do have some concern that if uh minnesota goes up you know puts up a lot of points which is what you would need kind of for a big cook or a big digs game uh you know, they might be inclined to like do a little more spelling of cook with Madison. Um, you know, we know Diggs is upside. So I think he's worth taking, uh, you know, a few kind of one-off tournament dart throws, but as a correlated stack, just given kind of the matchup in total and just the price that, uh, you know, two of our kind of primary uh, skill players that we would want to stack are at, it's not a game that's doing a ton for me, uh, you know, from, from a, uh, from kind of a team or game stack standpoint. So moving on to the next game, which I think is going to be, uh, the second most popular game on, on the slate and in, in, in GPPs, uh, we talked a little about the Buccaneers before, so we don't necessarily have to rehash that as much, but, uh, we have Winston 6,500 Godwin, 7,300 Mike Evans, 7,400 on DraftKings. Drew Brees, 6,900. Kamara, 7,400. Michael Thomas is now up to 9,900. Do you think at these prices that a five-man double stack of this game is just too low probability that you need to, like, blow out that team total? You know, that that 49.5 needs to become a 70-plus in order for it to be worth it to stack, even though I'm pretty sure people will try to do it. Yeah, I mean... I agree. It's like a very expensive stat, uh, you know, stacking options just doesn't correlate very well either. Like we've kind of talked about already the Tampa Bay side, like there's just no sense, I think in playing Godwin and Evans, um, you know, and, and then kind of, you got on the, the new Orleans side, like Thomas is in a smash spot. Uh, I think, I don't know. I could see at the price people being bullish on Camara. Like I'm not, uh, just the, the Latavius thing, uh, even though I was like, I was bullish on Kamara last week, you know, just given the matchup, but uh, you know, Tampa Bay, I mean, just destroys running backs, both on the run, but also through the air. Uh, they're allowing the fourth fewest uh, DraftKings points per running back target, uh, which is how like, I think Kamara's Avenue to hitting a real ceiling game is just being super effective through the air. And uh, you know, I think Tampa Bay is like really, uh, you know, good at, 
mitigating that as well as, you know, stopping Khmer on the ground. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think to me, and especially given the popularity, it's not really like a game I want to stack up, uh, but more a game I think I would want to try to incorporate solo pieces from in cheaper stacks or in, you know, more correlated uh, stacks. Because, like, last week, I think one of the really compelling parts of that Tampa Bay-Arizona game was there weren't, like, a ton of super high total games Um I'm not sure how the number of games stack up this week to last, but, you know, last week was kind of a small slate and not like a great slate in terms of, you know, total games. And I think like this week we actually have a few really compelling or equally compelling games from kind of a total standpoint where the guys are cheaper, uh, the pieces are better correlated and, uh, you know, the ownership might be a little more, a little lower than kind of what we would like to see, uh, you know, to, to try to stack this Tampa Bay, uh, New Orleans game. Um, I mean, you know, the positives like Breeze, Thomas, Camara correlate well, um, you know, in general, uh, I'm not really convinced like this is the, this, this Tampa Bay matchup to me, like doesn't seem like uh, you know, a team that's going to allow great correlation between kind of running backs and receivers. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be trying to, you know, really load up like f- line up like five guys from this game. Uh, you know, maybe maybe like a secondary stack where you're picking like a skill player from each side. I don't know if these quarterbacks I really want too much of naked. I mean, certainly not Drew Brees. Uh, like, yeah, I don't really want any of these quarterbacks naked. Uh, you know, I might try to find like a kind of secondary skill player stack, maybe putting. Uh, you know, like Thomas across from Godwin, uh, Thomas across from Evans. I think in general, like Tampa Bay, uh, at least in 2019, we've seen Evans correlate really well with Jameis. And we've seen Godwin kind of blow up in games where Jameis isn't doing so great. So, uh, you know, maybe uh, Godwin I might prefer as like a secondary, uh, you know, piece to a primary stack in a different game. Because like if you're going with Evans as that kind of one-off piece, uh, there is some risk where like if Evans blows up all the people that have Jameis too might, might be leapfrogging you. Uh, you know, if the quarterback that you're stacking around isn't like also, you know, hitting a great spot or kind of exceeding Jameis. So it's kind of my, my thinking there. So uh, you talked about naked quarterbacks. Let's go to the game that features two that you could potentially play naked and one that is obviously the best quarterback on the slate. But we, we talk about correlations and stacking. I think we have one side where there's, I think there are heavy correlations in this game. The problem is, I don't think I, I don't think you could like double. The problem is, it's 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 like a one-one. It's always the problem. Ravens Texans fifty-one and a half total. Uh, Ravens twenty-eight implied team total. Lamar Jackson seventy-seven hundred. Uh, Watson sixty-eight hundred. Uh, I mean, Watson and Hopkins are as correlative as you could get between a quarterback and a. And, and our wide receiver, and then Lamar Jackson, uh, you could play him by himself, and he could be the, the ceiling scorer. And the problem is that I think he's correlative to all, like all the other teammates. I like Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews are like, like are the players that you would correlate with him. I think the problem comes in that we have every week is that Lamar Jackson could suck up so much of the production on the ground that neither of his correlated assets put up a ceiling game with him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, 
yeah, Lamar is like week in and week out, one of the top quarterbacks that I'm considering naked. Um, but like you said, the correlation with Andrews and Marquise Brown and, and, and both Brown and Andrews actually correlate quite well together is compelling. Uh, you know, I think kind of the, the route with Jackson is like play a little bit of both. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're playing multiple lineups, you know, mix in some, some Jackson Brown, mix in some Jackson Andrews. And then also consider some, some Jackson naked and maybe, you know, run back with the Houston receiver. Um, you know, the issue with Jackson, uh, well, sorry, let's talk about the Baltimore side for a sec and, and kind of what Houston does on defense. Cause Houston's a pretty interesting defense in that they are very strong against running backs on the ground and through the air. Um, or I'm sorry, they're very strong against running backs on the ground. They are exceptional. Like one of the best defenses against tight ends, um, you know, they're allowing the second lowest fantasy points per tight end target um, and fantasy points per tight end air yard. Um, you know, so for me, like Andrews isn't a guy I want to completely wipe out just because he gets so much red zone use. But I'm definitely like when thinking about a Jackson stack, probably this week going to skew a little more towards Marquise Brown because that's really where Houston can be attacked. Um, you know, they're allowing the six highest uh opponent adjustment wide receiver target market share and the second highest wide receiver air yard market share so they're allowing uh receivers to i guess exceed their historical market share at the second highest rate in the league and you know marquise brown is a guy we're not really interested in from a target floor standpoint we're really interested in him because of the the air you know the upside he has via you know his air yards um so when stacking uh, Lamar, if I am going to stack Lamar with, you know, one of his pass catchers, Marquise Brown is the route, you know, I think I would prefer. Um, and also like Andrew's price is kind of pretty high this week. Um, I think they're kind of better options. You can go with tight end uh, again, you know, wouldn't rule them out. Cause like, it seems like people, uh, you know, this isn't a week where I think people are going to want to pay up for tight end. There's a lot of intriguing, uh, you know, running backs and wide, uh, wide receivers, and there's not a whole lot of salary. Well, you know, there's not a lot of like safe, you know, real comfortable salary relief at quarterback we feel good about. So, you know, Andrews could be that contrarian pay up. Um, yeah. So but, but then, you know, the idea of running back, uh, you know, one of the challenges, Baltimore uh, Jackson and Marquise Brown and Andrews negatively correlate with the performance of their opponents. Um, you know, I think in a 51 fairly close game, like people's inclination is going to be to, you know, all right, cool. Let's like run our Jackson stacks, uh, you know, stack them up with, uh, Brown or Andrews or, or both, uh, you know, who are going to run back with Houston. I think an interesting, uh, you know, Houston guys aren't cheap on the other side, Full, uh, Fuller and Hopkins. You know, I do think there's kind of some viability to a, you know, Baltimore onslaught kind of build where you're just going, uh, you know, Jackson, one of his primary pass catchers, saving on the Houston side and kind of reallocating uh, some of that money elsewhere for, uh, you know, some correlated plays at some of the other positions um, yeah, you, you buying that at all? Or are you thinking if you're going to go Baltimore, you, you want to run it back with the Houston guy? Well, I think, I think the, the issue is, is that a lot of times Ravens ceiling results involve them having the ball for so much possession that the opposing side just like they could put up points, but just like they just run so many less plays that it becomes less probable that ha that happens. I think the contrarian way to go this game I'm not saying I'm doing it, but I think there's I think I mean, you could show me maybe I'm wrong. I think there's a strong negative correlation 
between Mark Ingram and everyone else on the Ravens that if you wanted to go with one of these Ingram four touchdown type of games that you go Watson, Hopkins, Fuller, Ingram, which is a way to get like completely contrarian exposure to a 51 total that people won't have that combination. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's a good point when we've seen it in the past where, uh, you know, Lamar and company have kind of pushed the ball downfield and then Ingram's just kind of backed his way into a multi-touchdown game. Um, you know, I think, I think there's kind of optionality there for sure. Um, so are you going to try to then you thinking to run that back with Houston guys and maybe like build around a Watson stack or just, or it could be a one, one, it could be a secondary correlation. I could do something like Ingram fuller. Uh, I mean, I look at fuller because at least he's so much cheaper than Hopkins. But, I mean, if anyone's going to put up a 40-point score, it's, I mean, yeah, obviously Fuller could do it, but he needs to do it on, like, three or four big plays. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm going to do this. I'm just saying this is how I approach looking at games going. Like, most people will look at this and go, oh, I'm going to do Jackson, Brown, Andrews, Hopkins. Sure. Something like that. And I go, like, I look at the total price, and I go, Andrews at 6,100 there just doesn't – like, I don't mind playing him instead of Brown – but like combined, and then I just start looking at contrarian ways. So like I'm just looking at how do the pieces fall in, and I don't find it very compelling to do like a Lamar Jackson Brown stack and then like running it back with Darren Fells. Like yeah. I'm not a big fan unless the tight end is like a high level. If it's a Kelsey Ertz Waller, a tight end that could like get there on his own. Typically, I include tight ends that are like as part of a stack. So like the quarterback has the highest score on the slate, but, and the tight end also has like one of the touchdowns and like a five sixty mm-hmm. type of game. Yep. So, so just pulling up the, in 2019, you know, Ingram, how he's correlating with, like I just selected Jackson and Brown, kind of the two shiny pieces here. Uh, Ingram Jackson, a negative 0.004 correlation. So essentially like those two guys operate completely independent of each other. Um, you know, so I, so yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, you know kind of wrinkle where you could uh, you know feel like you're you're getting some leverage on the field. Um, yeah, so I think, think worth an idea there. So let's go to uh, to another game that maybe we could get over with. No, maybe not. Okay, no, sorry. Let, this is a vomit game, so uh, we got to spend some time. I think most people would skip over this game a little. Bills Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins at home. Bills are, uh, what, it looks like almost a seven-point favorite, six-and-a-half-point favorite, 40-and-a-half total. Uh, We get into a similar situation, I guess, maybe with Lamar Jackson as we do with Josh Allen, I guess a little, because he is a Russian quarterback, so he kind of steals production from other teammates. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we have the Dolphins, who uh, I've been – this will be my third week in a row stacking them. Uh, so I'm telling you right now, uh, I will have I, I will have a lot of this game. Uh, you can't tell me at these prices that Fitzpatrick and two receivers or Gazeki at tight like any of the two pass catchers are for their prices is not like absurdly correlated. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I don't have too much on the Miami side uh, offensively, like. Just not not saying like I don't have much in that, you know, I'm not playing them. I uh, just haven't like really too many notes on them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with Miami, like, look, uh, Preston Williams injury opens up a lot of opportunity for, uh, you know, some of these some of these guys. Devontae Parker's been 
pretty consistent uh, all year. And, you know, I do like uh, <clears throat> it has yet to pay off this year, but I think like guys like Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant are, uh, you know, always worth like a little kind of sprinkle. They are just have so much big play upside. And, uh, you know, Wilson in particular, like Miami has, uh, I know this is a new coaching scheme this year, so I uh, haven't really been paying attention to how much they've been utilizing him in gadget plays, but like, he does seem like a guy that Miami sometimes uh, in the past has tried to get the ball to and kind of some creative ways. And uh, yeah, I mean, at those price tags, like, look, you just need one big play um, to, you know, kind of for them to make value and even kind of give you an opportunity to really take down, uh, you know, a big tournament. And yeah, those price tags, I mean, give you the opportunity to get up to a guy like Michael Thomas, uh, you know, if that's where you want to go or, you know, some of these other high price running backs. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by it. Um, you know, I do have some notes on the Buffalo side uh, and have a, a like grab your, grab your trash can because a, a real vomit stack on the Buffalo side. Um, but you know, Miami, Doug, I'm, I'm waiting. No, uh, like, I'm, I'm I see you lighting up and you're talking about vomit. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take notes myself. Let's go. Come on. I'm, I'm going to close with the vomit, but I will say Miami is allowing the highest opponent adjusted ADOT uh, in the league. And we know Josh Allen's a guy that likes to push. I know who you're going to talk about. Talk. I know. I know. it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get there. Uh, Miami's been very effective. At I can't wait. Come on. It's get Dawson there. Knox. Dawson Knox uh, is a guy that uh, has received red zone targets in back-to-back games. Miami is effective at funneling the ball away from running backs and tight, uh, wide receivers in the passing game, really yielding a higher, uh, you know, an up, uh, you know, an elevated market share to tight ends. Uh, Dawson Knox, man, uh, you know, Josh Allen, Dawson Knox, uh, probably will lose you a lot of money, but, um, you know, I, I'm intrigued, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, the 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 market share kind of split that Miami allows suggests that maybe tight ends a spot we can attack them. Dawson Knox has been receiving some red zone looks as of late, uh, so I'm a little interested in a Dawson Knox Josh Allen stack. Was that what you were expecting or no? Uh, uh, kind of what I was expecting. <laughs> a little. Uh, what do you what do you think of this uh, vomit double stack? Allen Brown Knox Balage Parker. Let's do it. Come I mean, on, yeah, Millie. I, look, Allen to Brown is always in play. Like the guys are a match made in heaven. Like Brown wants to get downfield. Allen wants to push the ball downfield or throw it to the other team. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, trying to get on this Buffalo side here uh, could be interesting to me. Um, yeah. And like, you know, Brian Flores has shown so far that like when behind, he's totally okay with just airing it out. Uh, you know, Fitzpatrick's fearless with the ball and, you know, the Miami side is like so cheap. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not thinking you're crazy at all. And I'm going to, this gonna... game is so cheap. <laughs> I, I'm now, I, I'm, I'm taking more of it now the, the, this is making me cause you can take both. Cause the whole thing is like fit. Allen is prone to turnovers. Fitzpatrick is prone to turnovers. Like this game could turn into like, everyone gets a short field, like every yeah. possession. And yeah. it's like the game could just automatically, all of a sudden we go, why is this game 42 to 35 
with two quarterbacks that have fumbled three times and thrown two interceptions. Yeah, I mean, like, no punts, just, like, turnovers or touchdowns. Uh, but it yeah. could also be the opposite. Understand this is the type of game where Frank Gore has 26 carries and Balazs has 22 carries, and they both have, like, 50 yards each, and the clock runs out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, worth I think worth some 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 creative and interesting dart throws. Is do we? By the way, is Jakeem Grant uh, still returning punts for Miami? I believe so. I, I've always kind of, you know, that would be an interesting way to go is like a Jakeem Grant double dip uh, Miami DST. They are priced up a little bit, though. Uh, and then like, you know, some Buffalo, uh, like, I don't know. Knocks Allen Allen or knocks Allen Brown, something like that. Anyways, okay. yeah, I told you we'd get along this show. This is great. <laughs> All right, we've we've killed though this. Uh, I think. Yeah, this let, let's go to a game that every everyone wants to talk about. Okay, let's go to a game that we wanted to talk about, even though it's vomit. Uh, I think it'd be the most popular game on the entire slate, both in cash and in GPP. So obviously, I lean towards being under on GPP. Uh, Falcons Panthers. Uh, 49 and a half total Carolina favored by four. Uh, I know you talked about the Panthers last week that very call correlative Allen Moore, Samuel McCaffrey, uh, even throwing Olsen. They're yeah. pri- other than McCaffrey. The prices are cheap. Very reasonable. Yeah. We're going to have a very chalky Brian Hill as a, as obviously part of a run back, either in a single or a double, like, I think we're going to see a lot of, like, Allen, Allen and two of McCaffrey, Moore, Samuel, or maybe Olsen, and then, like, a Hill Julio Jones, a Hill Calvin Ridley, like that type of double stack. Do you think for the prices that it's going to be still too owned for large field GPPs that it makes it plus EV? I mean – I think it's going to be too owned to like play the obvious, like Alan Moore, Samuel Hill. Um, look, I mean, I don't want to be full fading, um, you know, a, a well-correlated strong Carolina team against, you know, probably, you know, maybe the most porous defense, um, you know, in football. Um, oh, we said that about that. This is what happened to the Saints. <laughs> they got six sacks on the Saints. It could happen. Yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're good at putting pressure on the quarterback. I, I think, um, or, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know. That that game was ridiculous. I, yeah, but I, it could uh, have that, that, but that's what <laughs> GPPs are. I look at, yeah. see, I, I get it. I get it. I'm more like, I think, I think the stack has the highest raw expectation. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I, 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 I don't think we have to break down why they're correlated. I mean, they're correlated and they're cheaper than they probably should be. Yeah. But I think that I'm more likely to not fade the game, but right, just right. like I'll take like a Kyle Allen, DJ Moore single stack and then have like Brian, like do just do that and not take Samuel or take yeah. these guys as one offs, a secondary uh, Brian Hill, Curtis Samuel secondary stack without the quarterbacks. Like I'm not against the game. I think the game, I think this is the best game on the slate mm-hmm. price wise and expectation wise. It's just that uh, I think if you're playing like a, like a 200,000 person GPP, I just think like, wait, if you're going to play Alan Moore, Samuel McCaffrey Hill, something like, like, like how much leverage you're going to have to get so much leverage from your other two spots. Like yeah. who are you playing? 
Yeah, I mean, someone totally off the board. You know, Jakeem Grant and uh, Dolphins DST. And uh, Dolphin um, Knox. We got to play yeah, Dolphin Knox yeah, in there. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, the leverage spot I've been kind of trying to work for the past couple of weeks on the Carolina side is uh, Curtis Samuel is one guy who actually has negative correlation with McCaffrey. Uh, you know, some thought that maybe, uh, you know, Samuel like has yet to really like reach that game that, you know, we're just really, uh, you know, happy we played Curtis Samuel uh, on. But I'm going to kind of keep going back there. And, uh, you know, I do expect McCaffrey to be pretty popular. Uh, you know, Brandon's talked at length, uh, his kind of disinterest in playing McCaffrey in tournaments. Um, you know, and I kind of see where he's getting at, like at, at you know, 10-5, like you need him to hit 50 uh, for him to kind of give you a realistic chance at winning uh you know, GPP, which he can do, but, you know, if he's going to be 20, 30% owned, like I am probably more inclined to short him. And, you know, if he gets 35, 40 points, like that's great, uh, you know, in cash, but in tournaments, like, you, you know, you're really having to come on strong with some other guys. So Curtis Samuel is a guy like I'm kind of interested in using as a leverage piece against uh, McCaffrey. Uh, Brian Hill, you know, will be chalk or probably should be chalk. Um, I don't know. I'm inclined to think he's good chalk. I mean, Carolina is atrocious against the run there. I mean, as we showed earlier in the show, like they're allowing the most uh, opponent-adjusted fantasy points per rush attempt uh, by literally like 150% of the next closest competitor. Um you know, and if with no Devonta Freeman, like I do kind of like the spot Brian Hill is in and, and the price he's at, um, you know, would be an interesting, I think, uh, you know, stacking, don't have much of an opinion on him and there's kind of l- limited data on him from a correlation standpoint. But I mean, I love him also just as like a one, you know, one off plug in piece uh, as part of kind of, uh, you know, a primary stack that's on another game. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. Uh, the, the ownership is going to be pretty massive here. Um, and I think I might try to gravitate more towards Houston, Baltimore, or uh, what is it? Cincinnati, Oakland as a kind of alternative uh, games that, that I kind of want to stack around um, just because the ownership is going to be so high. But I, I like, I do a good amount of cash, mostly like cash play uh, on Sundays. So I will be getting a ton of this game in cash. I mean, I think, um, I mean, God, like running five uh, Panthers of Allen McCaffrey, Moore, Samuel Olson, like is not crazy at all in cash. Uh, you know, I think, uh, man, I say you're, it's you're, you're getting like 95% of the Panthers offense and just not worrying about how it's distributed. Yeah. I mean, it's got, it's got great floor, pretty limited ceiling. So not, you know, something I'm interested in doing in tournaments, but uh yeah, I mean, I think all those guys set up pretty nicely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Atlanta, Hooper, Hooper's out. So, you know, figuring out what's going to happen with that volume, uh, I think will be, you know, a pretty interesting, uh, you know, way where you can kind of get creative. Uh, I think in terms of, like, where they're used in the field, like you would expect maybe Calvin Ridley to, uh, like, you know, Hooper, man, and I, I, Hooper was the, the guy I was running back mostly with last week in New Orleans and seeing him catch that early touchdown and then get injured was, uh, was pretty heartbreaking, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see, uh, you know, who, who replaces the Austin Hooper role. And, uh, you know, I think Calvin really set up fairly nicely, uh, to be that guy, uh, would have to dig in more to kind of the historic data though, to really solidify an opinion on that one. 
Okay, next game, a game that I'm interested in, that it seems like no one else is, which is perfect. That's what I like. Jacksonville, Indianapolis, in the Dome. The Colts. I, I say that because uh, Derek Carty loves Dome games, so like, oh, okay. I just always have to point that out. <laughs> oh, it's a Dome game. That means the Blitz is going to like multiply everyone's fantasy points by 74 or something. Uh, Honestly, I've been doing uh, – so with this projection kind of algorithm that we're working on, I'm going to use some sort of like data machine learning algorithm where you can look at like the importance of different variables. And I do have – I am controlling for – you know, indoors and wind speed, uh, and indoor, like indoors is showing up as a completely not salient, uh, variable in, in the whole model. Uh, got to continue kind of playing with the data, but you know, I, I, I have also like su subscribed to that theory and, uh, look, I mean, kind of data modeling can show you, uh, some things that aren't true sometimes and can show you, uh, you know, false positives and, 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 uh, you know, uh, uh, true negatives and all this stuff, but I thought that was kind of interesting. I, look, I literally actually have no no notes on this game. Uh, I know historically, Indy's a team that uh, you know is funnels passes towards the middle of the field, and the tight end is a position that sets up nicely against Indiana. The pro problem is, like, I'm just not that interested in what whoever it is, O'Shaughnessy. Uh, you know, I forget what the other guy's uh, name is. Uh, they required him from someone else in the offseason. The valve? Uh, it's going to be set the valve. You don't oh, want to really? play the valve? <laughs> I, you know, I don't have too many, uh, you know, data points stored in my uh, head on Seth the valve. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not a game I'm terribly interested in. Uh, you know, Fournette's a guy, uh, you know, we, we typically like uh, just given kind of the workload he projects to get. But, um He's really priced up this week. I think it kind of makes him uh, tough, tough to play. And, and what Foles is coming back this week, right? Yep. Um, historically, he's been pretty like low efficiency per drop back as a quarterback. And uh, you know, Indy's a team that's going to try to lower the pace uh, as much as they can. So I'm not too uh, enthralled with this game. Uh, don't talk you away from it, but um, I, yeah, I don't really have too many notes on this game. Uh, all, all, all I, I all I look know. at is the price. And the ownership, and I go. Leonard Fournette could have ninety percent workload at seventy nine hundred, and he's under ten percent on projected. And then I take a look at like Dee Westbrook is going to be back. He's forty five hundred. He's when he was when he was playing, he was getting eight, nine, ten targets. I'm looking at a Marlon Mack who busted as semi chalky last week at projected three percent ownership at sixty four hundred. I'm just saying, yeah, you're right. It's not an appealing game. I mean, the Dolphins-Bills game is not an appealing game either, but the prices dictate, like, I could get the outlier here. And, like, what makes it that a Nick Foles, Shark, Westbrook with a Marlon Mack run back, like, I'm not saying the jam into 50% of my lineups, <laughs> but, uh, and, and who says a brissette in a type of, I mean, I'm more inclined to, to stack Foles on one side. Uh, but, I mean, the pieces of the game, even if you want to play a little Westbrook or a little Fournette or a little Marlon Mack or something like that, it's not high probability. But, I mean, like, yeah, I, yeah, I know the Panthers are good. Like, I don't, I don't need to do much analysis on that. So here it's, it's, it's more of a, a game theory play, not that, like, if you looked at your model and the raw stats and the DVP and everything, it would show that the most likely outcome in this game is low for ceiling. 
But for the price, yeah, if I'm going to ten percent of my portfolio has pieces of this game, like I mean, that's what separates people from winning Millie Makers and not. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, last week I, I was kind of I did some digging on the Colts, and I, they do have actually a pretty correlated uh, passing attack, and uh, you know, just some guys who, yeah, I just like the way kind of they're, they're in what they played like Oakland last week, I believe. Like I liked uh, you know how that set up uh, with Ty Hilton being out. We had uh, you know Ebron and Zach Pascal strongly negative correlates of Ty Hilton. Uh, so, you know, you had reason to think that they would you know, had, had some upside in his absence, both correlating, I believe well with each other and both positively correlating with Brissett. Um, obviously didn't work. I mean, that, what was that game? Like 15, 12 or something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I in the past have liked the correlation on the indie side. Um, I don't know. I'm not convinced that this is the spot to deploy it, but, um, you know, I'm, kind of thinking to the most probable outcome and you know i do agree uh you know if you're chasing kind of an edge case uh not chasing but if you are you know building some lineups with an edge uh you know outlier outcome in mind uh you know there, there is there is some some stuff to like in this game i guess okay moving on to the next game we got three left uh i'm i'm gonna call this next game uh the correlative nightmare game uh it's patriots at eagles 45 total Patriots favored by three and a half. Uh, I view both teams as uh, their offense goes to 8 million people. So like, uh, I I don't know where the ceilings correlate to anything. Maybe you could give me some insight on this, but like with three active running backs for the Patriots, uh, Howard and Sanders for the Eagles and a whole mess of tight and Aguilar and Ertz and Goddard. And then you have Edelman, Sanu, Dorsett and like, like how how do you ever predict what what how would you stack this game in any predict like other than just throwing darts? Yeah, I mean it's pretty hard to um, you know New England's defense is so good and I think it makes it pretty and and just given how like hodgepodgey uh, you know Philadelphia's offense right now I think it's pretty hard to you know, organize like a well-constructed Philadelphia stack that you feel good about. Um, you know, I think like maybe you could take just like a one-off play like Julian Edelman, uh, you know, Philadelphia, I think, you know, they're kind of defensive tendencies are well-documented, super strong against the run. Uh, you know, you couple that with, like you said, the fact that New England has you know, three different running backs that could feasibly, uh, you know, find pay dirt, uh, and, you know, all of them have, I mean, yeah, zero floors. Uh, like, yeah, it's not a game I'm too interested in stacking. Uh, you know, I think trying, you know, you could take kind of like a dart throw with some of those cheap New England receivers. It's like a one-off type play uh, against Philadelphia. But, uh, yeah, not, not a game I'm too interested in, certainly from the Philadelphia side and the New England um you know, it's tough. Uh, New England, though, I will one note I have on the defense is they are a little more attackable against uh, tight end, allowing you know, an elevated uh, opponent-adjusted market share and efficiency per target to tight ends. Uh, you know, I think there a case could be made that, like, you know, Ertz's price uh, hasn't climbed a ton, and with the absence of, like, Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, um, you know, I say Ertz also, like, Goddard, too. I mean, both these guys uh, – you know, I think could be in play, but as you mentioned earlier, like Titans tough 
when you're not stacking with, uh, you know, the quarterback. Ertz does feel like, like one of the that I would feel okay uh, playing, like without his, you know, uh, quarterback, just because he gets like so many receptions. So like you could, seems like you could get uh, potentially like a 10 catch Ertz game. And maybe, you know, 10 would be an insane feeling, but, you know, like a seven or eight catch Ertz game, uh, you know, Carson Wentz doing pretty much what he's done all year and next to nothing. Um, you know, that, that might be like one way I'd be thinking about attacking this game. Uh, probably just trying to pull the like individual pieces as part of a, you know, alternative uh, stack. Next game on the slate. I, I know we talked a little bit about the, the, the Cardinals earlier today. Cardinals 49ers, 49ers at home, 44 and a half total. San Francisco favored by 10 and a half currently. Uh, with uh, Sanders out, we're going to see a very chalky Debo Samuel at 4K. Uh, we also have Kittle out, and maybe people are going to look at Ross Dwelly. Like Arizona is notoriously, you know, fast paced and could obviously give up turnovers, maybe inflate the play total for the opponent's team, the, the opponent that they're facing. Uh, yet I still don't feel compelled that I think a Garoppolo Samuel Dwelly type of stack with like Christian Kirk on the other side has enough ceiling or like if you throw in Tevin Coleman into that mix uh, and there with if breed is out, like I just don't see the, I think the 49ers defense is good yeah. that I don't necessarily am looking to go like Murray Kirk Fitzgerald or something like that. The running backs, who knows what's going to happen with David Johnson and Kenyon Drake and everyone. Uh, I just see that the 49ers offense, the way that they want to play, meaning running the ball, kind of automatically negates what the Cardinals do as far as like inflating the play total that maybe you're different, but I'm not all that compelled about stacking this game. I mean, I, I may like some pieces, but like not like, not five guys. Yeah, it does. It does feel like a pieces, not the game kind of uh, opportunity. Like San Francisco's defense is really good. I mean, they're New England light. They're behind New England, allowing the uh, you know lowest fantasy points per pass attempt to opposing QBs, uh, the second highest opponent adjusted sack rate on opposing QBs. So like uh, you know, Kyler is a guy just not really too interested in. Although he did. I think exceed kind of expectations in his first showing against San Francisco, um, you know, at San Francisco, like I'm just not really that compelled by an Arizona stack. Uh, we talked about the top of the show. I mean, uh, you know, Kirk is one of these guys who negatively correlates with the opposing uh, passing attack, positively correlates with opposing running backs. We have Temin Coleman who, you know, has had explosive games with the San Francisco team in the past uh, minus Matt Breida, like I do think Kirk and, and it's interesting, like we saw kind of with Will Fuller, uh, you know, earlier in the season, like we'll see kind of like this slate breaking performance receiver, his price will go up, you know, get a slightly worse matchup. And then nobody wants anything to do with him. Uh, I think you see it also in like DFS golf to a decent amount. Like the guy who wins the tournament the previous weekend, people will just want to stay away from the next weekend. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder, you know, how much ownership we'll see on Christian Kirk. Um, so He's currently I, I, projected know, at 6%, RG. I think yeah. I think it'll be high. I, I, I think it'll end up being double digits. 
Yeah. But I mean, I'm I'm still willing to possibly take a shot even at yeah. like ten percent. But I I just think that that forty points from last week is going to inflate it enough that maybe I just don't bother. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I, I'm never great at you know projecting ownership. I'm kind of just relying on what what I'm seeing uh, around the industry. But uh, hey, I mean, uh, the, their defense is priced down at fifteen hundred. Uh, we saw the data hold true last week with the uh, Kirk opposing back Arizona DST. Uh, you know, I would be a little interested in kind of like this well-correlated secondary stack of Kirk, Tevin Coleman, Arizona defense at 1-5. Um, and then, I mean, you have a, like a pretty good amount of money to to play around with at uh, some of these other, you know, as you're filling out your roster. Um, so that's kind of how I'm approaching this game. I, I think uh, it does feel difficult to try to just be like, oh, no George Kittle, no Emmanuel Sanders. Like, let's go nuts with, uh, you know, Garoppolo and, you know, his cheap pieces. Uh, yeah, Debo Samuel, I think will be pretty chalky. I, I mean, I think he will be good chalk in cash. Um, his snap, you know, his snap percentage and target market share and area market share have been steadily on the rise uh, for the past three or four weeks now. Um, and yeah, he's looked the part, uh, you know, I watched some of that Monday night game and yeah, I mean, he just looks real, real strong. Um, Kendrick Bourne is a guy who early on in the season, I was trying to play a little bit of just because he uh, in 2018 actually got a pretty good amount of red zone uh, exposure. Like he was a guy that, uh, you know, San Francisco was looking for in the red zone and with, you know, Manny Sanders and Kittle out, uh, right? Like there's going to be some opportunity that needs to be filled. Uh, Kendrick Bourne at like, I think he's like min price uh, could be interesting to me. And, uh, you know, we saw him catch a touchdown last week and, um, you know, it could be a guy I'm interested in going back to uh, just as a one-off piece, or maybe, you know, you trying to stack up with Kirk and just saying, Hey, like the data would suggest that correlation's not there, but at 3000, you know, 3000 or whatever, uh, you know, I don't need like some excessive game from Kendrick Bourne. I need him to, you know, four catches, 50 yards and touchdown. Uh, you know, that, that could be a piece to a tournament winning lineup. Okay. The last game on the slate, also known as my favorite game on the slate, <laughs> Bengals Raiders, 48 and a half total Oakland at home, favored by 11 and a half. Okay, Stewart. Ryan Finley, Tyler Boyd, Auden Tate, run it back with Jacobs and Darren Waller. Uh, what should I do with my million dollars? Tell me, tell me. What <laughs> I, I'm already, I'm already selecting what I, what I should be doing uh, with with Ryan Finley season with uh, Tyler Boyd. I played. He gets the most amount of targets that does nothing. Uh, I'm I'm just going to press the regression button against this Raiders secondary. And uh, and hope for the best. Uh, I, in comparison to the, I mean, it's not like this game is unowned. Jacobs is going to be chalky. Waller is always, I mean, because the tight end position kind of sucks. Carr is going to be owned. Boyd is even going to get a little ownership. Uh, in comparison to the Panthers Falcons game, like, the only question in this game is that is the are the Bengals going to have a pulse? But if the Bengals have a pulse, like I, I can't see 
at the prices that they're at, that it doesn't go through. Finley, Mixon, Boyd, Tate. I, I mean, like, I just, to me, it'd be, I look at like the, I look like the Bills Dolphins game. I could see turning into a game that you look on red zone and go, I can't believe it's over that early. Like, I don't even see this game being that. I could see this game being, wow, I can't believe the Raiders put up 63 points at home. Yeah, I mean, look, there <laughs> feels like they could do that. And I don't know, I, I expect Cincinnati to have more of a pulse than they did last week. I mean, I don't know, early in the season, there was talk like, oh, this isn't, you know, the usual Baltimore defense. And like, yeah, it's not as good as past Baltimore defenses. But the data suggests that Baltimore still you know, a defense that's going to pretty effectively limit opponents and certainly going to effectively limit, you know, this listless Bengals team and Oakland, uh, you know, they're, they're a bit, uh, I guess, porous on defense. They're actually allowing the most opponent adjusted uh, DraftKings points per pass attempt to opposing quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, Finley's price, like that's something I'm interested in and feel like, you know, there, there is some upside there. Um, you know, and then, and then even like with Derek Carr, I mean, running running a you know stack built around the Oakland side, uh, you know, Cincinnati's allowing the most uh, fantasy points per passing air yard uh, for quarterbacks. So, like, I think there's you know opportunities to some big passing uh, performances really from either side. Um, running backs, Josh Jacobs against Cincinnati. Uh, you know, total smash spot, uh, Cincinnati, uh, allowing the second most opponent adjusted DraftKings points per rush attempt behind only, uh, Carolina. And, um, I don't know, Jacobs isn't a guy you, you, you know, are counting on to get some run as a pass catcher, but, uh, you know, Cincinnati is allowing an elevated market share, uh, fourth, fourth highest kind of opponent adjusted running back market share. So, you know, you do feel like if you could get, uh, you know, two catches out of Jacobs, like you'd be pretty happy with that given the, uh, you know, workload we're expecting from him in the run game. Um, I mean, man, there's a lot to be, I think, uh, excited about. I'm not really interested in attacking Oakland's run defense. They're, they're pretty stingy um, against running backs on the ground and through the air. Um, I mean, Oakland, they're allowing the highest opponent adjusted uh, wide receiver air yards. So getting some of those, uh, you know, Cincinnati uh, pass catchers like makes a ton of sense. I, I, you know, I'd also throw in there on top of Tate, uh, who's, who's been like actually like a pretty good air yards guy for Cincinnati, maybe their best, you know, Boyd and uh, Alex Erickson, who feels like he has a limited ceiling, but uh, also, you know, he does get kind of these uh, decent amount of just low, low a dot targets. Um, but yeah, Auden Tate has been kind of their, uh, big air yards, uh, hog. Um, so yeah, I'm at the price, like I'm really interested in incorporating him into some tournament builds. Um, and then Darren Wall, you touched on, um, uh, I don't know. I like, there's kind of a dearth of quality tight ends this week with no Kelsey, uh, you know, no Piddle. So I guess, yeah, Waller probably will be pretty popular. I do wonder, like, do you think people will be scared away by his, ineffectiveness the past few weeks um you, he's, he's coming yeah, in no, at the highest no. projected ownership at 24 percent. so i don't think so okay well you know i even if chalk i i, I like him nonetheless i mean uh cincinnati cincinnati's allowing the second highest opponent adjusted tight end catch rate and i think in the past that's kind of been what's dragged waller down it's like he's gotten uh, you know, pretty good volume and just hasn't been converting, has been catching at a super high rate in his bad games. If we can project him to, you know, catch 
more than usual. Uh, you know, his, his balls, like I think Waller sets up great. So uh, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I mean, this is the game I'm most interested in stacking uh, from like an ownership and price standpoint. I, I mean, I think Carolina, um, you know, Carolina, the Atlanta games, uh, Carolina, Atlanta, uh, New Orleans, Tampa Bay, uh, Baltimore, Houston, like obviously from a raw standpoint, these are kind of superior games, but, uh, I think, uh, you know, that, that Carolina, like just going to be so much ownership on it. Uh, and even though the prices are good, like this game really intrigues me a lot. So, um, I like some just, just make on. sure Stewart, mm-hmm. if you stack this, okay, this is, this is the winning lineup. Everyone here's the Millie maker winning lineup. It's going to be the Bengal stack Fidley Boyd Tate with a Josh Jacobs run back. I can't put Waller there though. Cause there's a very, very good reason why I can't, because I need to save that spot for Dawson Knox. <laughs> you put Dawson Knox with a secondary correlation with Devonte Parker on the other side. And then you have, you have the money now to play Thomas and McCaffrey. And then the Cardinals defense, the cheap defense. So, what so, type? What color Lamborghini should I get? <laughs> tie dye one. Uh, so, so you're ruling out though the double uh, tight end Waller Dawson Knox. Uh, oh, oh, now <laughs> I now oh, that's what's gonna beat me. That's okay. I, you're I on gear, the next level. That 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 stack will be super low owned. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I think you might. I think you might be unique if you, like truly unique if you're going Dawson Knox there and Waller. <laughs> okay, so from a general standpoint to close out the show. Uh, uh, Outside of obviously me looking at the games that are horrible, uh, if you had to choose, like for just from raw expectation, the top three would be what the Panthers game, the Raiders game, and the Saints Buccaneers game, right? Hey, I mean, I like that Houston Baltimore game too. Uh, both those offenses, Baltimore in particular, like can really move quick if they want to. Um, I. I don't know. I'm a little nonplussed, honestly, on that New Orleans-Tampa Bay game. Um, but you know it's going to be popular. Yeah, I mean, so I, I could see myself uh, being underweight on that game. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Houston, Baltimore, Atlanta, Carolina, and uh, yeah, man, I like that Cincinnati Oakland game a decent amount. <laughs> so uh, the new tools that you have on Advanced Sports Analytics, uh, where can uh, people find that and uh, and get in touch with you? Yeah, that's advancedsportsanalytics.com. Um, right now, all our stuff is, you know, for subscribers only. Uh, we typically, when we roll out a new tool, you know, make that public for a week or two. Uh, I'm hoping by the time we have a show next week to have a pretty cool, uh, you know, projection tool where people can, you know, use our own projections, but I think also like, you uh, you know, incorporate maybe some stands that they want to make into those projections. I'm hoping to have that ready for next week, uh, you know, which will be free, uh, you know, for the, for the first weekend, maybe like over Thanksgiving or something like that. I haven't, I haven't really thought it out, but uh, yeah, check us out at advancedsportsanalytics.com. All the, sh- all the tools you're seeing uh, in this, uh, in this show and previous shows, you know, or, or can be used there. And uh, you know, if you guys have questions on how to use them or uh, you know, et cetera, like email, uh, Twitter, those are good places to reach us. Yep, and I'm on Twitter as always. Probably next week, uh, Travis will be back as long as he gets his gets his voice back. Uh, but you can always find me in the Roto Grinders Discord. I'm in I'm in all the sports channels. Feel free to at Blender HD and and mention me if you have you have any questions, any vomit stacks or any anything uh, GPP strategy. 
Uh, so, uh, so for week 11 and Stuart Gibson in a, advanced sports analytics, I'm Jordan Cooper on rotogrinders.com.